Hello friends, I'm your host Chris Thrill, I'm a former Royal Marines Commando, I've adventured for better and sometimes worse across 80 countries on all seven continents. Welcome to the Bought the T-Shirt Podcast. Welcome to the Personal Development Essentials Podcast. Uh, today I have the pleasure of uh, talking with an exceptional individual. He, well, he's an author of uh, two internationally best-selling books. Uh, he has some outstanding feats that he has achieved, among which are uh, the world record holder in Firewalk, <laughs> which is uh, amazing, and also uh, doing 37 ultra marathons consecutively day after day to cross the country from one end to the other. So, Crystal, I'm, uh, it's great to have you here. Thank you. Oh, Aggie, thank you. It's very kind you have me on your show. And um, I, you call me an exceptional individual. That's really kind of you. I, I, it's funny. That's, we, that's how I feel. I'm not saying it yeah. to, to compliment you. It is uh, no, how, how I feel. I mean, looking at what you've done, it is inspiring. It is uh, exceptional in the, the sense that most people will never do anything like that, isn't it? I think it's a real toss-up, right? Because I think a lot of us, are, uh, we're kind of guilty of not putting our best selves forward, right? Or maybe not always believing in ourselves the way that we should. Because we know who we are, you know, we know our faults and our, our kind of weaknesses or, or, or I just know that I'm, I'm just a normal guy. I mean, I really am just a normal guy. And yet when people come and tell me such nice things, oh, I, I don't know if it's like my humbleness, which, which I'm guessing is a good thing, or whether I, I maybe need to believe in myself. <laughs> even more it's it's the same when i ran a thousand miles you know i ran 999 miles non-stop carrying a 14 a 14 kilo backpack running as you said an ultra marathon a day the length of the country um i was for, for your listeners i was running to raise awareness of the alarming rate of veteran suicide we have at the moment but afterwards people came and said such nice things and I'm, I'm sort of torn because it, uh, it, I, I, I don't want other people to be put off to try to achieve their goals because all my goals in life, and I'm one of the very few people, in fact, if I was honest, I'm probably the only person I've ever met that I've done everything that I want to do. Awesome. I'm, I'm now just a happy father. And if I, you know, I'm going to, try and run a hundred miles in a day for my birthday that's coming up my 50th birthday right mm -hmm. these things are just little treats for me that just to keep keep some interest in life right but apart from that I, I have honestly achieved all my goals and and I want no I not only want other people to but I want folks to understand it hasn't been that difficult I've just followed a set system. It was a system I think I came up with. I think part of it was in me, just from my makeup. 
the other part I developed um, after I became mentally ill, I was chronically addicted to crystal methamphetamine while living in Hong Kong after the Marines. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I really did, I, it sounds cliche, but I, I hit that, what people refer to as rock bottom, but what I refer to as just a, simply another part of my journey. But when you're at that very, um, you know, low point, you have to rebuild your life, obviously, or, or you die. You, know, the, you don't, you know, there's only two choices. Um, and in rebuilding my life and reframing everything in a more positive mindset, um, it, as I said, it's really allowed me to live every day in paradise, to, to take on challenges and, and, you know, just to do things that other people think are really, really hard, and, but they're really not. Mm -hmm. it's, it's all about the way that you, you frame these things, you know? So when you call me exceptional, it, it's lovely. Um, but, you know, we're all exceptional. Just maybe, Absolutely. Absolutely. maybe not everybody's realized it yet, you know? So thank yeah. you. My pleasure. And uh, you know what you were saying, whether it is your, uh, when you hear things like that, whether it is your ha being humble or that you need to believe in yourself more. So you don't seem like, uh, it's, it's sometimes you don't think that someone that has been doing all those things would uh, even consider that he needs to believe in himself more because it looks like uh, self-confidence is not one of your issues, is it? Um, Aggie, you have to remember, I, I, I tell you straight off the bat, the thing that I am most proud about in this life mm -hmm. is that I'm a drug addict. And again, to your, to your listeners, you'll either understand what I just said or you won't. If you understand it, I'm going to suggest you're probably quite an enlightened individual. If you don't, then maybe, you know, you're, you're kind of sort of beginning your journey, let's say, because... So I suppose if you have been a drug addict, you can relate to this well, feeling, isn't it? Here's the about thing. If, yes. Here's the thing, right? Everybody, that society has such misconstrued views on life on on every area of of, of life and it, it 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 it's it's a it's a bit complicated to dive into but and it's kind of twofold first of all when i was down there was nobody everybody left my life mm -hmm. i have one friend who had the the decency to stay around me because he loved me and he knew what I was capable of. And he knew that being mentally ill, I, I spent seven months in, in um, experiencing sch basically schizophrenia, drug psychosis. Uh, and he could see my behavior and he knew that this wasn't me as it, as it, as it, as it were. So, when you're when you have nobody else in your life and it is just you 
you have to believe in yourself, Aggie, because if not, you're going to commit suicide. And this is this. I always say, think about your actions because you're either a person that pulls someone away from suicide or you're a person that pushes them towards it. There's no, there's no neutral ground, you know? And so I have built my life from rock bottom with no support groups, no medical professionals. They said I should have been um, admitted to a mental health hospital and I would never recover. Uh, I've been to no AA, NA, you know, I, I never made any grand pledges to stop taking drugs or to stop, you know, I, I, I worked everything out in a balanced system for myself. And it's like, I did it. Mm-hmm. So, and in addition to that, I used my experience. It not only sent me in a different direction in life, so I wasn't such a greedy, narcissistic, um, capital-driven individual that, that society tries to breed, you know, this, you know, we've all got to live the American dream. And, um, and I learned who I truly was, and I went on to live, work, and travel in, 80 different countries across seven continents. I'm a, uh, I, I, I don't say this to blow my trumpet, but I'm a best-selling author. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm an Antarctic explorer. I'm an advanced scuba diver. I'm a pilot. I'm a quali- qualified pilot, qualified skydiver. I've lived in the Amazon jungle. I've, I've, I've run a thousand miles non-stop non-stop with no training all just off off the way that my head is uh, orientated i have a gorgeous partner um who 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 genuinely loves me for who i am mm-hmm. my son is just it's it's like mother nature tried to create the most perfect little boy and then then she gave him to me and um, i i I still can't really get my head around that, you know? So what, what I'm trying to say is, am I going to apologize because I was a drug addict? Am I supposed to pretend that that's something I'm ashamed of or, or that I've left? I'm so glad I left it in the past because I turned my life around. No, I didn't turn my life around. It was an experience that I went through and I'm incredibly proud of it. And it's, it is next to my, my, my son, Harry, it's the thing that I'm most proud of is that I've had that experience. And as far as like, you know, I used to be a drug. It's like, I don't need to, I, I, my ego doesn't need to say that. Want to call me a drug addict? Fine. Because it was probably one of the best things, the hardest things to go through, especially, you know, and I appreciate not everybody survives. Some people do irreparable damage to their physical and mental health that's i'm not i'm not saying that but i'm just saying for me it was a tough experience but it really it brought happiness ultimately brought true happiness into my life and and a sense of of contentedness you know and it's and it's the contentedness i think that possibly everybody is or maybe not everybody but a lot of people seem to be seeking in this society which appears we have more and more people suffering from mental health issues 
sorry, that was a bit long-winded, but... That's okay. Can I ask you, now that you were saying uh, about the experience from being a drug addict to uh, the person and the life that you live in now, uh, you mentioned that it's not about the, the turning point. It, it's not about turning the life around. It was the experience that led to that. But wasn't there a, a point that maybe you said no more of this because you have been uh, suffering and then at some point doesn't it go like this, that like the curve start going upwards when you, when you reach that point? Did you have a point as such or was it just a, a period of time? No, I, I had a definite... Um Let's. You could call them epiphanies. Okay, okay. that's exactly what I'm asking. Yeah, you could call them moments of enlightenment. Okay. And but you can also, in my case, call them nervous breakdowns. I got to the point where. I, I mean. I was finding myself crying right, as an ex-commando, mm -hmm. and it was something I never did. I mean, I went through incredibly broken home. I went to something like five schools before, before I was 10 years old, so I had all that upheaval, all that upheaval. Life in the 70s was very abusive as it, as it was. I think a lot of people now might find that hard to understand, but... To give you an idea, um, you know, back then any adult could hit you. That mm. was just acceptable. Mm. And sometimes they'd come up, smack you around the head, and you didn't even know, like, why. And it, it would probably turn out that they'd mistaken you for some other some other kid, right? Yeah. And I remember telling my this to my parents when I as an adult, and they were, they were like. You know, I think it's my mum more than my dad, obviously long separate, long divorce, but they were like, why didn't you tell us about this? And I'm, I'm like, because I thought that was normal. All right. I thought child abuse was normal because, you know, that's what adults were like back then. And I was too timid to, you know, if even if I had realized it wasn't right, I was too timid to speak up about it and anyway, so um, So as a result I grew up Quite hard you could say There was certain I had certain rules in my life. It's like you don't cry That's just that's you don't feel sorry for yourself. You know life can chuck stuff at you and you just got to take it on the chin and and you know, we used to say man up. So now we, what do we say? Person up. You know, you've got to person up and face it. Don't feel sorry for yourself. And that was my mantra. You know, I was home homeless for the first time at 15. I was smoking cigarettes in my school uniform, having no way to get myself to school, you know, perhaps hitchhiking, maybe not knowing where I was going to, you know, if I was going to sleep in the phone box tonight. And, um, and you know what? I, I, I had this, like, so what? I'd rather have this tough experience than have it easy because this is going to come good for me one day. I, I know that might sound crazy, but it was 
it was how I dealt with how I dealt with it, Aggie, right? And so fast forward to to so your listeners know I was in the Royal Marines Commandos. I served seven years. I saw active service in the Northern Ireland conflict during one of the most uh, savage years um, on record for the Troubles. Just to give you an idea that we, in one day we had, I think it was something crazy, like 171 serious incidents. That's bombings, shootings, mortar bombings, kneecappings, um, you know, uh, burning out buses and cars, this kind of thing. Um, the guy behind me on patrol uh, got shot three times, and then the the sniper turned his sights on on me as the next guy in the patrol, and fortunately he uh, he missed. After that, I did Arctic. Um, I went up to the Norwegian Arctic to do Arctic warfare training. And then I traveled around the world on an aircraft carrier as part of a, a, a specialist 12-man Marines uh, detachment. And you can imagine the kind of weapons they have on aircraft carriers. Well, our job was to protect them. <laughs> I'm probably not supposed to say what those weapons were, but, but I, think, I think you can guess, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'd had a great time. And then I got introduced to a business. It was a network marketing business. I'd seen a few of these things before and they just seemed just junky American trash, you know, mm-hmm. but this particular company, I thought, wow, uh, it was marketing electronic products like personal attack alarms, which were really security was really big in the nineties. And I just took off with it before I knew it. I had the biggest business in the Asia Pacific basin for this company it's called Quorum International. And I was kind of like the next guy to be a millionaire in this company. They, they called it the diamond position. Again, I was materialistic. All this stuff meant, meant things to me back then, you know. So I put in my notice. I went to Hong Kong to, to run this business. And by the time I'd served my 18 months, which is what, what I had to give the Marines back um, after putting my notice in, my business had completely withered out. The company that marketed, that provided these products, Corum, had basically gone bankrupt, and I was left with with um, huge debt. So I gradually took a series of jobs that went that were just bizarre. Like I I sold computer memory chips because I had a white face, which in the eyes of the old Chinese boss, look, you know, I've got Westerners working in my company. Look you know aren't i successful this is like a little bit about chinese psychology here right and then i sold advertising space in a business directory that that it turned out it didn't actually exist we were just our job as salesmen was to con businesses into re-advert often re-advertising with us in a in a publication that wasn't actually printed a lot of these kind of scams went on in hong kong and and I obviously that played with my morals, so I couldn't do that long. And I ended up, to cut a story short, working for the 14K Triads, who's Hong Kong's most vicious triad uh, crime family, as a nightclub doorman in the Wan Chai red light district, club, club land district. And by this time, I was chronically addicted to crystal meth. Uh, 
I was in psychosis, which, as I said, is a form of schizophrenia. So I lived in a very crazy insular world for, for, for that seven months. Fast forward um, to what people call recovery, mm-hmm. which, yeah, it's not a bad word. Um, but I'm, I'm there in England. I'm not understanding, Aggie, that I'm depressed because people don't talk about mental health in England. People don't share their stories. Um, doctors are very bad. They, doctors put themselves on a pedestal and they think they're above you. So they won't explain things to you. And they very much misunderstand issues around, for example, mental health and drugs. And, and you, you can't always deal with these things out of a textbook, right? So there I am. I'm chronically depressed after my experience in Hong Kong, which despite what what I've told you was fascinating. It was a massive part of my life. It was a big part of my development as a young man. I absolutely loved working in the nightclub district, being a doorman for the, for the 14K. You know, my, my, I had two fellow doormen in the club. Daisu was this six foot seven assassin who used to get smuggled over to China, He'd do a, a hit on someone and then they'd smuggle him back over the border into Hong Kong again. And Chu Chai was this hard as nail street fighter that just whenever a fight kicked off in the club, well, all the triads would just dive and grab anything they could. It'd be like an ashtray, uh, the ice tongs, a beer bottle, and they would just smash the people. I mean, you've never seen such ferocity in your life, right? And so, and, and so I'm back in England now. I haven't got any of that excitement. I've got boring England, boring jobs. I've got no qualifications anyway. Um, I'm living in a, okay, I, I, I was very lucky that my dad managed to get my house rented out so I didn't lose it. So I had a roof over my head, which now I'm really fortunate for. But at the time, I used to call it the rabbit hutch. You know, it's just a modern capitalist red brick two-bedroom house so that the functionalist masses can go to their boring job every day and answer phones and ruin their backs at a computer only to come home watch two hours of soap operas and then go to bed and do exactly the same thing for every single day of the year bar two weeks in the summer and a week at christmas right and this is this is how my thinking was i was so depressed with it I could only function by buying drugs, but I didn't have the money to, to I said, well, we didn't have crystal meth in the UK anyway, but, but what I could get was base amphetamine or, or methamphetamine, not, not ice, what they ha- which is what they have in, in Asia. And it was the only thing that could shift my mood up into being normal again. All right. It was a funny state of normal. It was a very high hyperactive state of normal but so i would have i lived between these mood swings every single fortnight without fail i'd get my drugs i'd stay awake for three nights four nights at a time basically getting stuck into menial unimportant tasks that weren't taking my life forward then i would crash 40 hours later i'd wake up i'd be in starvation mode because i hadn't eaten anything for four days i'd be utterly shattered because I hadn't slept for 
for days upon end. I'd be skint because all my money had gone on the drugs. Mm -hmm. I lived on porridge oats mixed with pasta that I used to microwave and put cheap margarine and sugar in just so I didn't die. Um, and I used to shoplift Bovril because it was too expensive. You know, I couldn't afford the £1.89 it cost. And I lived on Bovril on toast. And I did that for, for about two years. So coming back to what you're saying about the, the epiphany, mm -hmm. I finally ran myself so much into the ground that one day I woke up, I was in my box of shorts, and I was lying underneath my television set and I had a screwdriver in my hand. And you get this a lot when you have a problem with amphetamine. You wake up wondering, who am I? Where am I? And what the hell am I doing? And in this particular incident, which is about the sort of, I don't know, maybe the fifth or sixth time this has happened to me in, in different scenarios. I mean, one time I woke up in a hotel room how old were you at that time, Chris? I was uh, 26. All right, okay. Uh, what I would call a child. <laughs> I know what you mean. You know, so I'd been to war with a, with a machine gun as a child. That's, that's a, a very brief kind of synopsis of what the military is. You know, they send kids off to war. And, and, uh, but anyway, that's not, that's not what we're talking about today. So... I'm, I'm there and I'm um, like waking up on the floor. Oh, that was what I was going to say. Yeah, one time I, I got woken up by the police in a hotel room in Hong Kong. And I, I didn't know who I was. I, I honestly had no memory. They were shaking me going, who are you? Who are you? And I'm just, I, I, I could remember I was called Chris. That was the only thing. I said, Chris, I'm called Chris. They said, what job you do? What job you do? I, I, I was a doorman. I couldn't, but I couldn't remember that. So the only thing I could remember that I had been a DJ in Southern China. So I said, I'm a DJ in China. And it was completely wrong. I, I hadn't done that job for months. Right. So anyway, fast forward to England, I'm, I'm waking up under the TV and it took me a while to realize I'd gone so long without sleep. I'd crashed under the, I, I intended to go to, to, to lie. I used to lie in this filthy sleeping bag on a sofa bed because I, I was too depressed to go to a proper bed. It, it, it was, I just stayed on the sofa bed for two years really. And this particular incident, I must've decided to go off to sleep but my mind is hyperactive and I have one more job to fix, which is the putting a plug on the television, right? Mm -hmm. So I crawled under the TV, fallen asleep, woken up 12 hours later. I'm shivering cold, I'm starving hungry, I'm tired. And I wanted to go out the house and buy a, a Cornish pasty, which was, um, there was a you know, corner shop nearby. And I could hear the children playing outside my house and despite everything I told you, and it's, it is, it's quite a funny thing, you know, adults will judge you. Children will just think as long as you treat them with respect, show them time and love and, 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 you know, they will just accept you as you are. And 
because all throughout this challenging period, I'd still go and kick a ball around with them. They'd come and, you know, ask me for advice, stuff that they wouldn't even speak to their parents about. And so I had this big group of kids in the street that kind of love their Uncle Chris. And in this situation I'm telling you about, I couldn't go out of the house, Aggie, because I was too ashamed of myself. I had finally sunk to the point where I looked at the clothes I was wearing and some of them I'd stolen off a, a, a guy addicted to heroin. Um, I realized my wardrobe, like I hadn't bought any clothes for three years. My house was an absolute pigsty. And, and, and to top it off, these kids who, who, I, who, who you know, I, d I had this really special relationship with, probably helped keep me alive, I guess you could say. I was too ashamed to go out the house in case they saw me. Mm -hmm. and, and, and maybe like one of their parents would go, Chris, what the frick has happened to you, man? You, you, you know? Yeah. And, and Aggie, I, I had another breakdown. This is like about my third breakdown. I just burst into tears. And the, the reason I'm crying is I'm remembering that little kid that went through the childhood that I did. And he didn't ask for all that, that strife. I'm trying not to swear here, but you know, he didn't ask for all that strife that he got. He didn't ask for adults to, to do what they, you know, to, to beat him up and, mm. and, and sc scream at him when his parents were getting divorced, even though he'd done nothing wrong, you know. And I'm like crying for that kid, if that makes sense. And after a while, I calm down and I'm looking through the Venetian blinds and I, I always had them pulled because I, I just, I didn't want people, I was in, I was ashamed of the state I was living in basically. And the sun was shining through and here's, if there ever there was a metaphor, it's the sun, right? And the sun's shining through and it's kind of telling me, Chris, you're all right. You need to sort this out, mate, you know, but you're all right. And you didn't ask for all this, but you stuck with it. You believed in yourself. You faced off the Hong Kong triads when they, you know, you thought they were going to kill you. You faced off having no friends left in the world. You faced off having a family that, you know, they kind of ashamed of you and they, they couldn't deal with me, you know. And you, you, uh, maybe I hadn't kept my dignity all the way through, but I, I, I still was proud of myself, Aggie, you know? Mm -hmm. And in that moment, I knew things had to change. And I realized now that this drug, um, amphetamine, it was crystal meth in Hong Kong, this drug that I'd come across, and it, it was the only problem drug I, I'd, you know, I, I tried a few party pills and ecstasy and, you know, party speed and this sort of thing. I'd never had a problem with it. It was this crystal meth that was, the key in the lock for me for for my damaged psyche it was just like you know the gears were engaging and it made me feel awesome made me feel energetic it made me feel confident it made me want to do things right and moreover it made me learn a lot of stuff that they told me I was a failure at in school so you know it's the reason why I'm now a, a, an author is it, it enabled me to put a pen to paper and start start that career it enabled me to paint pictures that were 
really quite good, even though I'd never painted anything, you know, not since like a kid at kindergarten. Yes. You know? And, um, but I had to say, Chris, it's not working now, mate, is it? And let's be honest, it has, these drugs, they haven't been working a long time. You say you're going to do this. You say that you, 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 you know, you're going to achieve this by, by, by buying these drugs every fortnight. And, and what are you achieving? You've got a smashed up house. You've got no clothes. You've gone from 13 and a half stone bodybuilder. Yeah, I used to go in nightclubs. Again, I don't mean to say this to sound conceited, but it's just how it was. I'd go in nightclubs, wake up the next day, and I'd have all these phone numbers in my pocket of, the, of girls that had come. come. I was too shy to chat people up. They'd come and speak to me, right? And they'd say, you know, would you give me a call? And, you know, I'd gone from that, this huge, huge muscles. They were, they were utterly ridiculous. I look stupid, but, but it's just how it was. And yeah, I, I was back at nine and a half stone, the weight, the what, what I weighed before I joined the Marines, right? Yeah. And all these things were kind of quite unsubtle hints that I had to make changes. And it was in that moment I decided to make them. Exactly. I, that's what I wanted to ask you because... Uh... We talked about Tony Robbins briefly earlier. That I'm a big fan, and he says that it's in the moments of decision that your destiny is shaped. So the moment you make a a congruent decision, 100% of you says no more of this. I'm going that way. Then everything changes. And yes. I wanted to ask you in terms of mindset or the way that uh, you have been thinking. So if I would ask you, so compared to Chris, before that, uh, let's say, incident, that breakdown, and the person that you changed and then you started growing that person, what was the key difference on the mindset, the way of thinking? Um, the seminal piece of information I would urge anybody to take on board, at least as a starter, is balance. Mm-hmm. It's all about the balance. I didn't want to go to AA meetings and this. I, I didn't believe I had a disease. In fact, I know I didn't have a disease. I had a mental health condition and, men, and, it, and a mental health condition in, in the context of addiction is a, is a maladapted psychology. Mm-hmm. So if I had learned to take these drugs and that they would give me this result, well, surely when they stop giving me this result, I could unlearn, you know. So again, for people listening, it's like the rat in a cage. If he pushes the button, he gets the reward, the, the food pellet, right? So he learns to push the button, he gets a reward. He pushes the button, he gets a reward. When the day comes, you take away that re- reward. What does the rat do? He still pushes the button because mm-hmm. his psychology, his trained, to get that reward and it's the same with drugs long after the reward is gone and all the fun is gone you're still pushing that button because you've trained your mind to do it so i recognize i needed to untrain my mind and get balance back in my life and these things take time that it's not going to happen overnight it's a commitment to yourself and the commitment i think we've all made which is to try to be the best we can be um, and, and the most productive 
member in of society in a society that's extremely complex right yeah becoming uh, becoming the best version of ourselves i completely understand that is my uh, what i'm striving for and i think the people that are listening to personal development material podcasts or good courses that's what they have uh, as a, a goal to to get better to improve Yes, if we can reach that, uh, the best version, as we say, that would be the ideal, wouldn't it? Yeah. Uh, and it's important to understand it's not necessarily the person you are because we all have challenges. They continue through your life. We all have aspects of our character that in our ideal world we would want to change, right? And we all have moments of downfall of depression anxiety you know the the difference is for people like myself is i have learned how to deal with all of these things Mm -hmm. so that my journey rather than being the roller coaster ride that that maybe other people might be on mine is it's far smoother and when i get a severe challenge the way I frame it is possibly that it's not a challenge. It's just, as I said, part of my life. And, and it's, it's how you go about things is a big um, part of developing this, this more, more positive construction of yourself and of life and of your mindset. So I wouldn't want people thinking, oh, well, that guy's got it fine. You know, it's like, no, my, my life is, I have the same challenges you have. I get, I wake up some mornings, not, I'm going to let, hopefully let you into a few, what are secrets in society? Because one of the, the seminal things, again, that you must take on board is the TV lies to you. The media um, lie to you. The politicians definitely lie to you and none of these people care about you or work for you. They work for ultra rich, nasty, elitist businessmen who belong to families that wouldn't even spit on you if you're on fire. And yet we have fallen under the misconception that these people care about us and they're gonna they 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 have our best interests at heart so if you believe what you see on the bbc news you're you're gonna struggle to you you know you're gonna struggle along the path to enlightenment you 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 really have to shed you you know you have to work things out for yourself um i can't remember how we got onto that 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 (laughs) little rant but um uh, it's what i get from uh, yeah yeah no i was going to tell you there's a few things that that i follow now that means i don't actually get many mornings where i get out of bed on the wrong side you know i can get out of bed even feeling a bit miffed and just turn it around like that now with with a single thought and followed by a single action so going for a run is a prime you know prime example of something you can do like that you don't have to run 10 miles. You don't have to run one mile. You can run 200 meters and you will feel brilliant about yourself for the rest of the day. 
if not brilliant, you're going to feel a lot better because it's all about balancing your mind's chemistry and running creates endorphins. Endorphins is a, a fairly harmless drug that the brain loves. And, you know, there we go. So, so yeah, over to you. I was about, uh, thank you. I was about to ask you actually that uh, you got me right before I asked you if you think there are any habits or any routines that you have developed over these years that have uh, strengthened your mindset. And you just told me one that is very important to have the, the discipline, the self-discipline in the morning to go out and run, even if it is 200 meters, just the because I've been doing that uh, recently and I realize how empowering it is when my mind is telling me there's no way it's raining or whatever, finds all the excuses and I still say, okay, I'll just go out for a little while. I don't have to run uh, 10K. Brilliant attitude. Brilliant. It, it's that, you know, it, it, it's fascinating. Again, we've been lied to. Aggie and people need to know that running isn't painful running for a bus that's painful <laughs> running sports day at school or doing the cross country where you have to you know they used to make us do it in our pants if we forgot our you know running shorts that's painful that is horrible that is torture and I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy right jogging for half a mile around the block, smelling the flowers, looking at the blue sky, or appreciating the rain, you know, smiling, saying good morning to people, which is something we've lost in our culture, which is crucially Im Im important to, to mental health. You know, that is not punishment or torture. It's utterly brilliant. And you come back and you think, do you know what? I thought running was horrible, but I've just achieved a quarter of a mile. I just ran around the park. I ran, you know, I ran the way that I took the dog for a walk. And I feel, I feel a bit better. I'm actually, you know, I might try and run a bit more next week. And this is exercise. And we, we again, you know, tell me if I'm bore, boring you, but we have been lied to. If you go to see the doctor about a mental health condition, you know, you're fed up, you're stressed. Got issues at work did is the first thing they turn around and tell you go and run quarter of a mile around the block no they no. will they will give you tablets they reach for a pad like a robot because they work for the medical companies not you you know the system doesn't work for you the system works for the ruling elite and and only them the illusion that we live in democracy is an utter lie you know, having two parties, one red and one blue or one yellow and one pink, who both went to the same elitist schools, who both subscribe to the same snobbish agendas, who both keep the money and the power going up that way at the expense of the people. That's not a democracy. Democracy is what the indigenous Indians had, where the tribe sits around and any member of that tribe, whether a child or an 80 year old you know, man or woman, has the right to put their hand up and tell the chief their idea and, and then it gets voted on. That, that is a democracy, right? So you go to the doctor, does he tell you to run? No. He gives you a potentially life-destroying medication that is completely unnecessary. If you'd only made 
slight changes to your diet and did the run. If you can do those two things, and I'd like to talk about diet because that's been the, the it's probably the most important thing in my life. More, more important than my attitude, more important than my sport. It's the diet. And people will be surprised when I tell you it's not the diet. It's not this five fruit and veg a day nonsense or, you know, eat a steak because steak makes muscles. You know, I'm, I'm, I try to mostly eat plant-based food. I don't do it because I care about animals, though obviously I care about animals. Um, I, I do it because it makes me feel utterly brilliant. It cuts my recovery time down when, I, when, you know, when I'm doing strenuous exercise. It's obviously good for the environment. It's good for animals. That's, that's just how it is. But I'm, I'm not, you know, I wouldn't want people to tie me in with that word vegan, which now seems uh, like a slur on people's character, right? Which is, that, that's the insanity of the society we live in. It's the people that want to feed themselves right. You know, if you um, take the top runner in the world, Scott Jurek, okay, arguably one of the top ultra runners, this guy ran 3,000, I ran 1,000 miles nonstop. This guy ran up, up and down mountains along the Appalachian Trail 3,000 miles nonstop. And he did it eating plants. Mm -hmm. You know, you take the world's strongest man. He's a doctor. He lives in Asia. You, you, you just, if you Google it and then Google plant-based or, or the word vegan you'll come up with this guy his name slips my mind but mm -hmm. he's the strongest non-steroid taking weightlifter so basically you know he doesn't uh enter the competitions that the guys that take steroids do he's a completely drug free guy right he's the world's strongest man and he and he only eats plants you'll find navy seals now that can swim you know 40 miles across the Pacific Ocean between Polynesian islands fighting off sharks. And what do they eat? They eat plants. And, and as I said, it's not all because we all love the animals, which, you know, as I said, we do. It's because it boosts your brain power. It makes you feel happy, cuts your recovery time down, and it means you can live every single day in paradise rather than having your body poisoned and toxic with this uh, abundance of animal flesh which just should not be in a hunter-gatherer diet you know um so yeah i talk more about if, if you'd like me to i can talk more about um how i keep keep how i keep everything focused through through my diet I would love, to, I would love you if you just uh, explain that a bit more. Uh, the plant-based diet is something that it's becoming a bit more uh, popular now. And I like what you said earlier about not putting the, the the term vegan. I like the way you said it. You mostly are on plant-based diet, so that sounds very. It's to the point, but you don't associate it with something that might be uh, not, not look, uh, you know, uh, all right in most people's eyes. Not that it matters, but I think it's a, it's a more friendly way for someone to be approached into this kind of uh, a different diet. 
the the way I see it, Aggie, is again we've been lied to because the financial interest lies with the food companies. They want to tell you that you have to eat meat every day and you have mm -hmm. to drink drink milk. Yeah. I mean, the notion that a human being should drink a drink that's meant for a baby cow is so utterly ludicrous. It's absurd. Yes, utterly absurd. And the fact that that we have we're supposed to get our calcium from a completely alien source and, and then we wonder why most most elderly people have arthritis mm -hmm. bone conditions from from that very wrong source of calcium right but it's not it's the mistake that people are making and again the truth that's been hidden is it's not so much about what you eat it's the ratio that you eat certain products in and again to cut a story short about 15 years ago now i came back from traveling i i, I had a parasite in my stomach traveling my insides were let's just say not right so i wasn't sure if i still had this parasite and i i ended up going to see this uh, medical guy he wasn't a doctor he was um, he he worked for a doctor he worked in cooperation with a doctor and he put my blood on an electron microscope and he put it on a big TV screen or I, I say electron microscope you know an electric microscope and he put it on a TV screen and he said so what did you eat last night I said well I was at work late shift uh, I ate a bowl of shreddies he went, yeah, that'll do it. I'm like, what are you on about? He said this, look, and he points on the screen and he says, these, uh, these are your blood cells. Fascinating to see your blood cells for the first time, right? He said, they're not bad, Chris, but they're slightly oval shaped, which means they're not as healthy as they should be. Well, this was a first, you know, why, why has no doctor ever said that to me in my life? Why didn't they tell me this stuff at school, you know? He said, uh, he said, you see these white clouds? There were literally white clouds floating in amongst my blood cells. I said, yes. He said, acid. You have an overabundance of acid in your blood. So off the back of that, I learned about how to eat in the right ratios to keep your bloodstream at the pH balance that nature intended. Um, it's a very simple philosophy, but if you take a plant, right? Now, you might wanna put petrol in, feed that plant petrol, right? Because you put petrol in a car, petrol makes your car go fast and it's brilliant. Well, you put petrol in that plant, it's gonna be fast and brilliant, right? No, of course it's not. You know, you could put a little drop in every week, say for 10 weeks, you're not going to notice any different with that plant. Come 15 weeks, that plant, you're going to start to notice bits of it are withering, right? Bits of it are dying. So you put a bit more petrol, your petrol in and then what happens? You, after 20 weeks, your plant, you know, is really suffering. Then after 30 weeks, it's dead, right? Mm it's because that plant has a pH level and whether you like it Aggie or I like it you can't change it and expect that plant to live right 
it's exactly the same for humans. Our blood should be around, uh, don't quote me on this, but it's like 7.25 on the acid alkaline scale. And you can actually buy strips. I have them in my, my toilet, you know, you can test your urine or your, and your saliva. Um, and it will tell you what your body, you know, the state that your body is in. So I learned that if you eat food in the ratio that we would have done when we lived in the nature, mm -hmm. you've got to remember when we came out of the caves, we wouldn't have gone to run down a woolly mammoth or a saber toothed tiger or even an antelope, or we did get good at chasing animals down. No, we would have gone to the nearest bunch of bushes and we would have picked leaves, shoots, nuts, berries. Mm -hmm. you know, we would have known all of these. We would be able to feed our child within 10 minutes, 20 minutes from that bush that is over there. And that is the diet that through through hundreds of thousands of years of evolution our bodies are accustomed to of course we would we'd catch the odd fish because we're primates and we're clever like that we might find the odd dying rabbit and decide to nab that one you know occasionally we'd go on a group hunt and we'd chase down an antelope if, if people are wondering about that read the book born to run it talks about how uh we because mankind can run extreme distances um because we sweat and we can cool ourselves down we can actually chase down animals that are a lot faster than us right if we it's called persistence hunting mm -hmm. so yes we would have done this but we wouldn't have done it all day every day every single day right and so our bodies have developed to, to have this diet in proportion and all the nuts the leaves the shoots um, the berries, they're far, they create a far more alkaline environment in the body than the meat, the coffee, the tea, the beer, the, the, the potatoes that have been so cross-bred over the years that they, they, they're not what they used to be in the, when uh, Sir Walter Raleigh discovered them in the South American jungle, right? You know, they've all been um, genetically modified or, or they they've been grown in soil that's that, that's not the best but um, this is my whole point so does it mean that I won't eat meat no if I want to go and uh, have a piece of tuna I love it right if I I try to eat game meat so stuff that hasn't been reared in a factory do I eat every day no once a week okay uh, if I go out for a meal and it's a restaurant and they've got no vegan option or it's the bloody five bean chili again, I, I'll, I'll buy something that I want off the menu, right? So I, what I'm trying to say is, is about this thing called balance. It's not about becoming a monk and, and you know, whipping yourself and, and making your life so difficult and hard and challenging that when you fail, you have to suffer the disappointment. But because I... I followed this and because now if you look at my plate, I will have two thirds vegetables. That is it. Might be some nuts and some that sort of thing. I stay away from too much fruit because it's it's eating an apple is no different to go into the sugar bowl and say eating ten spoons of sugar. And you'd never do that and you'd never let your child do it unless you're an idiot. 
right? So why would you eat fruit in, a, in the abundance that we're told to in this country, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and so, you know, I've got this plate, it's two thirds vegetables, and it's one, which are alkaline producing, and it's one third the meat and potatoes. That's the ratio. If you stick with that, and I've done that now for 15 years, you will never get sick. Okay. I, I'm not a doctor. I'm not going to speak for everybody. Of course, you'll find a lot of information online going, oh, what a load of rubbish. Well, of course you will, because there's a lot of vested interests in keeping the status quo. There's a lot of vested interest in keeping people on medication. There's a lot of interest in keeping people eating meat every single day, drinking milk, drinking alcohol, drinking coffee like it's going out of fashion. So, so I'm, I'm not going to sort of argue, argue any more the whys and wherefores of that. I just want to say my story is haven't been ill for 15 years with the exception of three periods of time when I came away from that diet and I immediately got, you know, within, within a while, the acid built up in my system. You see, your body, Aggie, can only get rid of a certain amount of acid per day. When you're loading it up with all these acidic acid-producing foods, your body has to store it, has to store those toxins, and it will store it in your joints, it will store, store it in places where your blood eddies, it will store it in fat. And after you've had a lifetime of that happening, you start to change the environment in your body. And our cells are so clever, they need a certain environment between this parameter and between that. And the Western diet pushes it outside of that and it starts to change the chemical balance in your cells. And your cells say, sorry, I'm like that plant that you thought you could feed petrol. I, I need a certain diet and you're not giving it to me. And I'm sorry, I'm going to start mutating. That's cancer, right? Or I'm going to start hardening or malfunctioning. Your, your, your arteries will... All the, all the chronic diseases that people get uh, are a result of uh, many years of uh, either nutritional abuse and exactly. also, I would also add the emotional imbalances. When we live constantly in a state of uh, stress or in a fight or flight mode, the chemicals in our body are not designed to be run on uh, the long term. They are only for specific situations that we need to really do something to, to survive, not uh, whether we'll be late at work or if someone cuts us, uh, did cut us off on, on the road. Uh, Yes, and it's about being sensible. It's not about going to any extreme. I can eat exactly the same food of any of my friends. I, I mean, maybe I choose not to. You know, yes. I, 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 I don't need to eat chicken every day. There's, it, it's that, it, it's, I don't see the point. And, and it's quite cruel if you think about it. But I can eat any of the same food of my friends. I just do it in a different proportion, Aggie, you know. That's all I do, you know. And... Uh, it's so good for your mental health. It, it, it helps you to live in that kind of higher plane. Mm -hmm. um, I talk about a lot of this sort of thing in Buddhism and spiritualism and living in the, in the kind of upper echelons of your body as opposed to the kind of depths and keeping your thinking in, in, in this area. And, and I really, 
when I when I set out from John O'Groats to run a thousand miles, I hadn't done any training. I hadn't been further than my car, which was parked right outside my house for two and a half years because I'd undergone spinal surgery. Um, and I was able to stand at John O'Groats and promise people there and then that I'm going to run to Land's End. You just watch me. I don't want any advice like get a hotel, Chris, go to the doctors. You know, I'm, I'm not doing any of that. You know, if I get any injury, I, 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 I will just run through them. You know, um, or I, I will find the way is what I'm saying, you know, and I'm going to run an ultra marathon every day. So I went from not having gone further than the car for two and a half years to putting on this 14 kilo backpack with all my camping gear, had no support crew. It's just me. When, when I get tired, I'm going to sleep on the side of the road. Then I'm going to wake up and just keep running. And the reason I was able to do that is that I keep my head in this check, you know. I live in the kind of, um, they call it serpent power. You you've, must have heard of the Kundalini spirit. This, I, I, I'm not going to pretend I really understand it from a biological point of view, but I do know that it's what the Bible refers to as the land of milk and honey and that it's not a physical place. It's a, it's, it, it, it's about the chemical balances that are going on in your brain. And, and so when I'm up there at John O'Groats, I'm in this state, like nothing can beat me. I'm basically invincible and I'm happy. And I'm going to, I've made my goal. And now I'm just going to go out and achieve it. Sorry, I'm listening because my, I think my partner's just, my girlfriend's just put the Hoover on, which is quite okay. funny. <laughs> yeah. Chris, um, you somehow you uh, read into my mind into the next question. <laughs> so you've done it before. Now I was about to ask you about the the mindset that takes someone from you know running as a hobby or uh, to running this kind of thousand uh, mile thirty uh, seventh ultra marathon uh, feat. But you already gave me the answer before I asked you the question. So that's uh, I've probably I've probably given you. Um, part of the answer yes but again it comes back to this process that i naturally developed having been at, at let's call it rock bottom you mm -hmm. know mm -hmm. and so and and it's because because i've invested in lifelong learning you know you ask you you ask my jenny she probably hates me at times because you the, when we first met and I'm not a real asshole, believe me. Well, yeah, maybe I am, but but I, it's like she's watching EastEnders. And when we started living together, we had a conversation about that, you know. I, I bet. <laughs> and the conversation went along the lines of, yeah, I know everyone needs to relax. That I don't have an issue, but there's so many brilliant people that have lived in this world. So many kind, clever generous ingenuitive if that's a word um, special fascinating brave heroic the list goes on right to learn about to read about to watch documentaries about i'm just talking about one thing alone people why the hell would you want to watch 
a constructed soap opera that is there to basically drug you so that you don't learn about anything else in life. You don't learn about the greed that's going on in our, in, 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 you know, with our politicians. You don't focus on the damage that's being caused to the planet. You don't go next door and check on your neighbor who, who you might not have seen for three days, you know? It's, it's all of this. And it wasn't that, like, you know, I'm being a dictator or anything. I'm just like, I, I really, um, you know, it, I can't be around that. I, I mean, I... I can't. I can't. And if you want to come to my house tomorrow and watch Coronation Street, I will watch it with you. I I, I don't care like that. But it's just the principle of the thing, right? I know exactly what you mean. And uh, what you were saying about the way that you said it, my answer would be amen, brother. I mean, I wish that more people had someone like what you said, someone to tell them that because I think... Most people only do it because they're conditioned to do it. Once they, they realize that this is a waste of my time and I'm filling my, my mind with, with shit, it's not empowering me, it's not inspiring me, it just keeps me dragged, as you say, to uh, not to grow, not to learn, not to help. Yeah, I was, it's something that most people would find out. And part of uh, my uh, mission in doing this uh, podcast is that people can get some ideas like and I think today you've given us uh, dozens of uh, you know thoughts that uh, can shift your behavior take a decision and do some things in a different way to not only improve yourself but as a result improve the people around you and have that ripple effect that eventually improves humanity doesn't it it's it's to their own uh, extent of course Some people do it on a massive scale. Some do it to the confines of their village or their family or their business. But it's still all, as far as I'm concerned, about growing, improving and contributing while you you grow. And when you watch uh, Coronation Street, nothing of that happens. You just get uh, trapped and distracted. Yeah, there's, I think, one aspect to my character is I've never been afraid to move away from the crowd. To me, that's never, that to be accepted by everybody is not, I'm just not interested in that because it, it, it very often means you just have to, uh, you, you know, run roughshod over your own values, you know, to, to, to um, and also as you, I mean, as you develop, you, you you do you become different to the rest not 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 superior it's not about that you just view life very differently um i mean and and you uncover let's say all these secrets that i'm telling you about right you know i mean it's it to me as i'm sat here it's insanity some of the things we still believe in you know i let's not get into too much detail but we're we're celebrating the 50th anniversary of a fictitious moon landing and like how, how are you supposed to do that when you know damn well that with the 1960s technology there is no way on earth or on the moon, on the moon. that they landed on the moon it, it's and 
it's insane to live in this society where people still believe that and it's on the BBC they're celebrating it at the moment and you've got to go oh yeah yeah we landed on the moon because if you don't you get looked at like you're crazy right you know you reminded me Chris of uh, something a quote that uh, Adolf Hitler said that the masses of people can more easily fall victims to a huge lie than a small one yes. so they will get it uh, so uh, Chris I would like to start wrapping this up uh, it's it's a fascinating conversation can I ask you um, if you have, it's a question that I like to ask people, and even though you give me some answers already, but let's say you had the ability to wave a, a magic wand and change something in the world as it is today, what would that be? Oh, you know, I thought, I have actually thought about this in, in the past, uh, and again, without getting too deep. If I could take one thing away, I mean, I wouldn't, I mean, I wouldn't change anything because do you know what? The universe, it's fine with or without my input. It's an amazing place. I, I don't really need any answers in life. I'm not, a, you know, I mean, I seek answers because I love knowledge, but I'm really not bothered if I die and I don't know what this whole universe show is, you know. Some people are saying it's a simulation. Some, it's, I, I just love living. When I die, I tell, you know, when I try to explain this to my son, I say we go back to the plants, the birds, the fishes. You'll be, you'll be seeing your daddy running past, in, you know, in, in a deer or a dog or what, 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 what. You know, I'm not going to go for this fairy tale of heaven and hell and all this sort of, this sort of stuff. And so... I actually wouldn't change anything because this planet, this solar system, this galaxy, this universe will be fine when we're all gone, which we probably will be because humanity, you know, humanity, civilizations come and go, species come and go, right? We're doing a pretty good job of wiping ourselves out. And, <laughs> and do you know what? I'm, I'm almost like, I, I don't know if I'm completely comfortable with that. I don't know if I should just, if, if acceptance is to go, oh, well, maybe we'll all be gone next, you know, in 10 years time. And, and, and so what? I'm, I'm not going to get too, too emotionally involved in that. So from that perspective, I wouldn't change anything. But as far as humans are, like I would change the sex drive thing because I think it's what screws everything up is, is this urge to impress the other sex you know uh, it's our genetic makeup right and i think if we could get rid of all that nonsense if we could reproduce by i don't know like high five that's it it, <laughs> it 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 would stop the ego it would stop these you know destroying the rainforest to build you know car parks um it would stop people going to their doctor and getting poison and actually you know maybe they get some good advice it, I, I think that's at the root of of uh all our problems so there you go i just said it <laughs> <laughs> that's brilliant uh, chris uh, how can people uh, find out 
more about you. How can they connect with you? Because uh, I, I'm most grateful for you sharing some uh, really inspirational things that I'm sure I have personally taken so much out of this. Uh, yeah. Well, it's, uh, Aggie, let me just say, it's wonderful to speak to characters like yourself. You obviously have a love of humanity, which is why you've invested in yourself. And it's the same for me. Some of our ideas might sound jarring to other people, but it's sometimes the truth hurts. Sometimes we might have it a bit wrong, but we're trying to go in that direction. So I thank you for, for very much for that. Um, as far as I'm uh, as getting hold of me, my memoir where, where I lost the plot in Hong Kong and ended up working for the triad is called Eating Smoke. Mm -hmm. uh, Eating Smoke, One Man's Descent into Crystal Meth Psychosis in Hong Kong's Triad Heartland. My recovery memoir, which in many ways is a more valuable book. This is where I talk about my philosophies of how my philosophies developed to just go out and live your life and get what you deserve for you. That's called 40 nights, mm -hmm. as in 40 days and nights in the wilderness. I call it 40 nights. You can get hold of me at Facebook, Chris Thrall, facebook.com, Chris Thrall, just my name, T-H-R-A-L-L. -L. Uh, I'm Twitter, Chris Thrall. Uh, just Everyone knows how to Google my name, right? So that, that's me. And my website is christhrall.com. If anybody would like me to come and speak, um, I am just started working for a public speaking company. But at this stage, I would just send me an email um, and then I'll put, put you in touch with, with who they are. That's and, uh, yeah. Chris, thank you. Thank you very much for your uh, time and for the conversation and for the tremendous uh, value and uh, inspired comments that you made. Well, you just made. Oh, no, I yeah. mean it. I mean it. There are things uh, I've been making notes while you were uh, saying some some things about the diet and things like that are certainly worth more of my uh, involvement and in finding out more so. I can then start spreading myself this message that uh, maintaining, for example, an alkaline diet is so important, which many people might have heard about, but they don't have necessarily the knowledge to take the action to actually utilize that. It's present that as an example out of everything else that you that you said. So the, the yeah. one thing I'm the one thing I'm that I hear more and more, and which makes more and more sense is. We just need to speak the truth, mm. however unpleasant or abstract it might seem, because then people have the choice. They can take that information or they don't have to take it, but at least you've given them the, 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 the choice, right? So that's kind of where I'm at. Maybe when we next speak, which would, would be great, I can talk more about how I uh, frame challenges. Mm -hmm. The way that, for example, you probably heard this, I always begin with the end in mind. So when I set out to do something, I'm not thinking about the task. I'm thinking that I've already achieved it, which is very much the case with running a thousand miles. Mm -hmm. um, because that, I think that could, could really help people.
I will gladly accept what you just said and we will arrange at some point to do a, a part two where we will focus solely on personal development. Yes. And tips, tools, techniques, habits, uh, you know, hacks, all those things. Uh, that's, we'll sort that out uh, for sure. So once again, thank you very much, uh, Chris. Uh, lovely to speak with you and uh, I wish you all the best. Thank you, Aggie. You've been very kind. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you all for listening. Thank you. Friends, thank you for listening to the Bought the T-Shirt podcast. Please like, subscribe and share. And don't forget to follow me on social media. Username, Chris Thrall. Instagram, Chris.Thrall. Thank you.